to Valred Radio. My name is Matt Weston. Tonight, I'm joined by the biggest, the fattest, and most importantly, the drunkest one of them all. Hey, BFD, how's it going? Woo! Yeah. So, did you know that the Tennessee Titans are a very, very, very stupid football team? You know, when I saw your, your teaser line for the show, and I saw your question, the first thing that really came to mind was not just that the Titans Oh, God, I can't believe I called them by their real name. The BSF played stupid football. We have seen this year, and maybe it's just recency bias, but doesn't it seem like this year we've seen a metric kitten ton of really stupid football? Oh, yeah. Like, every Texans game this year has been <laughs> every, yeah, every, dumb. Right, right. And it's just every once in a while, then, you know, whenever you have to watch a game, you know, Jacksonville resetting Blake Bortles, you know, that's turned out about as well as we expected, hasn't it? <laughs> it's got a lot worse than I expected it to because I picked a Saints-Jaguar Super Bowl. And, like, Bortles was the 16th best quarterback in football last year. And then – but, like, he was a, a sweater that fit really nice but wasn't made with a whole lot of quality. And it's like once, like, one thread popped loose on it, the whole thing came ripping apart. And, like, you wore it a few times and you really enjoyed it and then you decide where it's, like, a wedding or something. And the, t- the time, like, you really needed to stick together, it completely yeah, ripped apart on you. And, like, I mean, they're just – their team last year was just so tight and, like, condensed and compressed to be – if anything wrong happened, all didn't work at all their offense. And this year with all the injuries and the kind of scheme changes and not having Fournette, the problems with their left tackle situation – uh, Marquise Lee being injured to start the year. Like, it all just fell apart really quickly. And, you know, with Blake Bortles, you can win with him. You can't win because of him. And, you know, it really is kind of a shame that in the AFC title game last year, they wouldn't even let themselves lose because of Bortles. And so they try to hold on and, and didn't give them the opportunity to blow that game. So, you know, you kind of get, you kind of get it. It's, it's hard sometimes. So whenever you have those chances, you have to go for it. And, you know, Jacksonville did it last year. And they, kind of, they deserve this this year, 100%. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, they deserve this trash. I, I don't disagree with that at all. Uh, yeah, well, I don't know. Because that defense is still decent-ish at times, but even the defense has really not been all that good. They're seventh in DVOA, but they just don't seem like they've been as good. They seem like they've yeah. been almost more prone to big play. Uh, yeah, big plays. Yeah. And they had that all-time great pass defense last year, too. And this year, like, tons of guys are open downfield because they can't play zone coverage if they're playing zone coverage all the time. And guys are just getting up all over the place. Barry Church has been horrendous. They haven't got anything out of Tame and Brian at all, too. And also, it's kind of like natural regression as well. Whenever you go from 15 to an all in past DVOA to being an all time great pass defense, you know, probably about seventh or sixth was uh, more of what you expected. But yeah, it's been, it's been really sad over there all year. Yes, enjoyably sad. Yeah. And that game, too, when Houston played on um, Bortles got benched for Kessler. He got benched for Kessler again this week. We saw some really just – like I would say this Texans game against the Titans is really similar to the one against the Broncos where just the other team was just really stupid. But the difference in this one was that the Texans went behind earlier in this game, so they are actually forced to play offense. And also, like, Bill O'Brien kept calling plays to try to score points throughout this game, unlike the Denver game where he just completely, like, sat down and crossed his legs and 
uh, Ian watched his clock for the rest of the time. So that was kind of, I guess, the, the good thing about this one. Uh, so Tennessee, they went up 10-0 in this game. They threw a downfield pass to Corey Davis. They called for 19 yards, then threw another one that sent a pass interference penalty that led to, led to an easy field goal. Houston went three and out. Then they scored a touchdown on John New Smith dump off, which was not Tyron Matthews' fault, and I don't, I don't want you to say otherwise. I want him to say otherwise at all because he may be uh, you know, very upset to you on social media because of it because that's what you know, professional athletes should be doing. And at 10-0, the game quickly disintegrated from there for Tennessee. So, BFT, do you think Houston's aggressiveness was a realization, or was this just the need that they needed to come back early? And once they went up by, you know, 17, they kept throwing to score that last touchdown pass. Uh, well, I guess they, they lost him and ran that last touchdown pass in. But I guess just overall, rather than just run the ball up the middle, try to kind of barely hang on, Houston actually went for it and scored some points and won by double digits for the first time, and it feels like forever. Yeah, it, and it, <clears throat> it, just going a little bit back to Tyron Matthew, I, I didn't – I've been too busy uh, working to check social media. Is that a thing? Is he actually upset that people are criticizing him for absolutely blowing the coverage on that play? Is that a real thing? Oh, yeah, it is. Somebody – he said he posted something on Twitter, and some fan was like, you gave up a – 62 yard touchdown pass and then he called him the call he said f word clown or something along those lines ask my coach or whatever something like that it was just it was all very embarrassing from from both parties i was disappointed in each of them i don't understand how that wasn't his guy he went he went rogue on the play and that was his man that was clearly his man because he started covering him and when he when uh the blocking started. That's when he peeled off. He completely yeah. gave up on that. Don't give it, was kind of, it was kind of like the Ryan Griffin play where Griffin chips, the linebacker blitzes because yeah. he sees them chip, and then Griffin runs out wide to the flat and then catches a 20-yard pass as a result. It was just like that, except Matthew was the only person covering the middle of the field on that play. God. Yeah, because they talked, you know, even the broadcast, they talked about, oh, yeah, Tyron Matthew's so good. They let him, they let him do his own thing. They let him ad lib out there. It's like, yeah, that's why you have 11 guys and a plan. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I did not – when I saw that, I didn't realize that was a thing. I didn't realize – okay, never mind. So I'll actually get <laughs> the question at hand because that's just so really stupid. Um, so uh, I think a couple things kind of happen with this game, Matt, and, and I can't wait to hear what you have to say about it uh, because I haven't, I haven't really had a chance to – you know, it happened last night. I haven't talked to anybody really about the game. But one of my big takeaways of it, uh, of this game, was that it wasn't necessarily that we were more aggressive because I don't feel like we were. But it was the simple fact that all of a sudden Deshaun Watson was a threat to run the ball. Yeah. And to me, that's that was the entire difference of the game. It wasn't the aggressiveness. It was just the fact that, you know, Watson has both lungs now. What was your thought? What's your thought behind that? Yeah, I didn't really think of that at all because he did have nine rush attempts for 70 yards and a touchdown. And it didn't seem like most of them were even design run plays, but Tennessee was super worried about Watson running. Ryan Rack had a terrible game in this one. He kept, like, sitting and watching Watson, though Watson has been used as a design runner at all this year. And Dean Pease, or if that was his decision or the coaching staff's decision to worry about Watson as a runner, that was a bad job on their part. Because Watson's, you know, he had that big touchdown run. Uh, that was a lot of his yards, and you know he ran some scrambles as well too. And like I, I do think that was a, a big part of it. 
Also, just like they were throwing the ball in second down. They were running more play action. They threw three deep passes to Deshaun, to DeAndre Hopkins this time rather than only one. That was intercepted. That was just a, a toss-up to Kiki Cutie. I thought that was important as well in Madden too. And like, like I said, they just kind of like just threw a ball shotgun more. It wasn't just all inside zone, inside zone, third and seven. Uh, let's throw the ball for four yards or Watson scrambles for three or you know, throws an incompletion. Yeah, and that, uh, you know, because when you look at his stats, I mean, his stat line is borderline pretty lame, you know. I mean, he had a great game, but it's not like he blew up. It, you know, he was 19 for 24, 210 yards, so 8.8 yards per attempt. He had a couple of touchdowns, 130.9 QB rating just because he didn't throw any picks mostly. Um, but um, that's what really um, – it wasn't like we were pushing the ball downfield or being aggressive, but it seemed like really good things were happening. And the one thing that I really picked up on during the game, you mentioned Arakpo. The guy I noticed a lot was Wesley Woodyard. Mm-hmm. It seemed like he was spying on Watson. But it seemed like they were playing that defense with 10 guys half the time. Yeah. Because they, they kept so much, paid so much attention to Watson, and Watson still paid off. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's weird, too, just because Watson hasn't been you know, running really at all for the past, like, six weeks or whatever. And I still think that's the one thing missing from this offense, and so it was really great to see in this game is him actually be utilized as a runner somewhat, even though if it wasn't manufactured by either run scheme, those sorts of things. But at least he was taking off and he looked healthy doing it. I like to see him slide a little bit more still, too, at times. And he almost had that fumble uh, as well in one of his runs, too, that they didn't end up overturning either. But, yeah, like, if Watson's running like this, then the offense can really open up because then they can go back to those jet sweeps. They can run option plays. They can run play action. They can run more bootlegs. And then all that sets up the downfield passing that's been you know, really missing in this offense. And so, like, even though three d- downfield attempts isn't a whole lot, it really isn't. But it's just the fact that they only threw one against Washington. I think they only attempted two against Denver the week before. And the fact that they finally actually did it and, like, picked up some yards on it, it just you know, made me so happy because I'm tired of all these, you know, 70-yard passes, 12-yard passes, whenever – you have DeAndre Hopkins, and you have such a special talent on the outside like that. Yeah, and DeAndre Hopkins was just sick. Last yeah. Time. He was just. That sideline catch was so awesome where he catches it and then turns on his side to, like, it was like he, like, dived out of a building to save the kitten that was burning. And then rather than fall on top of the kitten, squishy, he turns, you know, gently over to keep its eyes from, you know, popping out of its head and just splattering everywhere. Yeah, and one thing I really hope – and really want Watson to understand is because, you know, Watson's tendency is to hold on to the ball for too long. He wants his guys to be really open. He just throw the damn ball to DeAndre. I mean, that's what Fitzgerald did. That's what Hoyer did. That's what all these other guys – just throw the ball in his general direction yeah. because his catch radius and his hands are so – oh, heart flutters. They're sexy. Yeah. Yeah, I like that PFF stat that he has zero drops on, you know, the 73 targets he's had. And he's only, he's only one of three receivers that have a drop, but – He's been targeted somewhere, a lot more often than everybody else. The other thing about Hopkins, too, that was really funny, you know, going back to Tennessee being really stupid, was that fourth and one where they not only have a Dory Jackson on DeAndre Hopkins. Like, Jackson's super fast, but he's only like 5'10". Not only is that a, a you know, mismatch where you can't really – he can't press a Watson at all. Watching Dory Jackson try to press Tyreek Hill last year in the playoffs was still one of my favorite things I've ever seen. But he plays six yards off of him on fourth and one. And, like, I'm watching the game like, oh, my gosh. Like, I'm 
so glad I'm not actually a Titans fan because I couldn't take it at all. Like, that play was just so unbelievably stupid. If you forgot, you watch it live, it's fourth and one. They have Dory Jackson covering Hopkins. He's lined six yards off the ball. Watson takes a snap, and he, throw, he runs a short curl, and they convert immediately. You know, like, there's no, there's no, like, there's no like controversy or uh, question about what's going to happen in this play whenever you come up like that. It was just so stupid. Yeah, no, that, there there was a lot of stupid. <laughs> and you know, and the good news is, is most of it was on from the Tennessee side of the ball. Shall we talk yeah. about the? Shall we transition to the stupidest play that I've ever seen since Alfred Blue lined up behind Ryan Griffin on on his fourth down? Almost. I want to talk about Corey Davis real fast. Okay. Oh, that's talking. good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because there's so there, – I mean, I would like – we'll talk about the Titans just being really dumb for a little bit. Uh, so, Corey Davis, he had four catches, four targets for 96 yards and a touchdown. Three of these targets were on the right sideline. It came out to, I believe, 89 yards on the top of my head. And the one catch he had that wasn't a deep target, I think went for, you know, seven, eight, seven to nine yards, something along those lines. And on all three of these deep passes he caught, he was in man coverage against uh, Jonathan Joseph, just one-on-one. Joseph covered him pretty well, I felt like. He was, like, with him. But he's just too slow now at his age to close down the ball. And also, uh, Corey Davis had a really cool reverse, too, right from the corner well. I believe he had a 35-yard run also in this game that really kind of misconstrues uh, the Tennessee Titans rushing numbers, too. But, like, the problem is that if you're Tennessee and you're, you know, you have Marcus Mariota and you're the coordinator of the Titans, one, you know, you can't run the ball against Houston. Nobody's been able to all year. You don't need to. You shouldn't really even try that much. If you're going to SB based on a lot of misdirection, a lot of cutbacks on the Corey Davis from where you're taking advantage of Y and Clowney's aggressiveness. And two, like you have to attack their cornerback play. Like I understand Corey Davis is your only, you know, really good wide receiver at all, but like still like Sharice Wright on the other end never got attacked at all. I never even heard Mike Tyson's name once and he's out there somewhere. Uh, Kareem Jackson was really nowhere to be found in this game. You never saw Andre Howell have to do anything. Like they didn't do anything deep down the field. And that's what you have to do to beat the Texans. And if you do that, I think you can really you know, beat them up pretty good. And so, like with Tennessee, is this just how their offense has been all year? Or do you have another reason why they didn't throw down field and really attack Houston's weakness? No, and that first drive should – this first couple of drives that Tennessee had should tell you everything that you need to know about how stupid they were. Because Corey Davis was so open on this place. Yes, Jonathan Joseph was in the frame, but Jonathan Joseph just simply cannot close on that anymore. He's just, yeah. he can't. And they were just wide open throws. And, and Corey Davis had, I think, three of those catches on the first two drives, and he was only targeted once more. Maybe yeah. I'm wrong. Maybe it was twice, but he was still only targeted two more times the entire game. That's silliness. I know he had those two deep catches. He had that pass interference penalty, and then his touchdown came a little bit later on in the game when they were when they were just stuck at ten points, you know. And it's like, why not just do this every single play, you know? And then even then, you get the safety pulled over, and now you have so many open throws to the other side of the field. Like Tajay Sharp isn't great, but like I know Taewon Taylor isn't playing, but still, like Tajay Sharp against Houston's second quarterback is a is a mismatch they can do something with, and. Johnny Smith is a mismatch because the, the Texans can't cover tight ends at all. And they just didn't attack it. And they, instead, everything was, you know, five, six-yard passes and Marcus Mariota just running for his life because their you know, pass blocking uh, was just obliterated in this one, too. Yeah, and look who was targeted. Michael Pruitt got a target. Luke Stocker got a target. Anthony Ferkser got a target. So that six targets. Anthony Ferkser is not a real person. Uh, yeah, I'm, yeah, well, you're correct. But that's, that's your that's six <laughs> targets 
He had four targets too. Anthony had four, tar- had four targets for 52 yards. That's I don't what, remember any of these either. <laughs> That's what shocked me. And then Johnny Smith got got two. So you're throwing six targets to three nobodies. And then you know who led the team in targets was Dion Lewis. So, man, that was just really stupid football. And the reason is, and, and let's give credit where it's due, the reason is is it was all because of the play of Christian Covington. Yeah, don't forget about that. <laughs> two and a half of the easiest sacks you'll ever see where he's just, like, pushing the guard two yards back, and then Mario steps up, and he just kind of jumps off his block. And then his other – that was his, like, one sack, and then the other sack and a half of his was because J.J. Watt was – Mario was going down, he popped on top of him. And then he had the other one where he stunned inside, had a wide open pass on the quarterback. Nothing with any skill at all or, you know, any sort of pass rushing moves. Just by being, like, big and going in a straight line, some good things happening. Yeah, this is the sort of game that you have to tell your kids about. And, you know, two and a half sacks is great. But it reminds me of the old Whitney Merciless days when he would get, you know, that, that – Like his rookie year. He yeah. Like we, seven sacks and they were all just vulture kills. Just unblocked or mm-hmm. quarterback got loose from another guy. He was there. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know it was 2013, so it was his second year in the league. I was like, is Whitney Merciless any good? It's like he's fine, but he's not, you know, eight sacks good. And then he actually you know, developed a, a pretty good uh, rip move to be all right. Yeah. And so what, do you, th- what do you think Christian Covington's pro football focus rating is going to be after this game? <laughs> is it going to be higher or lower than Brent Scarlett's? I swear. Uh, I, I seriously, I got like four texts between after the game Monday and this morning. I got four texts from people that specifically made fun of that. It's just, it's so humorous. Yeah, PFF's gonna love them some some Christian Covington. I haven't looked. I've only I, looked at well, today. They haven't they haven't sent me the email yet. And like I like their their targeting. I like their like raw numbers. And like their grades are just like I mean they're cute. You know I don't think it really means a whole lot. And really the kind of problem now at PFF is doing is they're taking those, those subjective grades that they have, and now they're using them to try to make predictions with, which just is a, is a bad idea. Uh, but I, I do like the idea, though, just like Brandon Scarlett having like a 94.7 grade because he caught that interception. And then I'm super excited for, for Covington because he had two and a half sacks and two quarterback hits to have like a PFF rate of like 97 or something absurd right. like that. Right. Like I want him on the all PFF team this week. Oh, my God. Uh, so, something else that the Titans did dumb. Marcus Mariota didn't throw an incompletion until a minute and nine left in the fourth quarter. And he was sacked six times in this game. He didn't throw the – he only had uh, three downfield targets. So, pretty much he was either running or taking the sack rather than throw the ball away, dumping off, dumping off to Zion Lewis like he did seven times for 31 yards, not throwing the ball downfield, and then evading pressure. And, like, Mariota is 25 years old. He's going to be 26 next year. He's about to be his fifth year in the league. And I, I think he's immortal. Like, I think it's going to be that Ryan Tannehill thing where he's going to be 32, 33 years old, and he's still going to be starting. And they're going to be like, you know, this Marcus Mariota, he's pretty interesting. You know, he may be pretty good. Like that Chase Daniel thing after Thanksgiving. Chase Daniel may be the 15th best quarterback. No, he's not. He's not at all. He's playing an easy offense. And so – I'm excited for Marcus Mariota to be a tantalizing quarterback prospect for his entire career keep getting shots because he was the second overall pick. Yeah, um, and I, I thought he had turned the corner. I mean, Blake Bortles, you know, he he kind of got better at being a game manager. It was his second year turned out to be super fluky. 
but Marcus Mariota just does not seem to be developing at all anymore. Uh, yeah. And you look at his numbers, he's got a 95.6 quarterback rating, but it's an empty 95.6. He's got nine touchdowns and, and six interceptions in, in games. Uh, yeah. Of course, not all those that he you know, fully play. And you look back at his 2016, 2016 season, and he had 26 touchdowns and nine picks for 95.6, the same quarterback rating. So and the like, Titans had a super unstable red zone offense that year too. And yeah. then next year, so I, that meth mouth worked because they had the best red zone offense in football. Then whenever you regress that to me, they became a mediocre offense. And Mariota, they, he had a big stat where he never threw a red zone reception until earlier this year. He threw like three or four last year that were just dropped in the red zone. And so I think that was a big thing about his 2016 season was he was just really great and part of the field that players are rarely very great in year to year. Yeah, and if you look at his numbers, I mean, they're going to resign him. I don't know why they won't. He's got an, uh, almost a 90 quarterback rating over these four years. But then you look deeper into his numbers. It's 7.5 yards per attempt, and it's 67 touchdowns and 40 interceptions. This is a guy who he, he's a check down Charlie. Yeah, and, and they, he's also going to be on his fifth-year option next year. So the Titans, I assume, have already given that fifth-year option like they did with Clowney before the year started last year. Um, and so I, I assume he's going to be there. Like how Kevin Johnson has fifth-year option this offseason, but they're probably going to cut him after the season. But I assume Mario's going to start there next year. And then they're coming in that Ryan Tannehill spot where you either re-sign him and then hope it works out or you're just kind of stuck with the guy who just is anything better than what he is. And I think that's the biggest problem with Mariota, though, is just he's not throwing the ball downfield. And you have to in, in football today. Your offense just becomes too constrained. Everything becomes too trapped in a box. And unless you're – you know, they, they're not able to run the ball at the middle at all whatsoever either. And it, the whole thing just doesn't work. And Tennessee's just been very, like, disappointed and watched the past two weeks after they had such a great two-game run against Dallas and against New England where you're like, it seemed like the team turned the corner, and this is how you expect them to play all year, and they finally did so. With a bunch of heavy blitzing, a lot of creative run plays, a lot of, like, uh, cool play action plays, a lot of really good screens, and all that's been missing the last two weeks. And I, I don't know why they're calling games differently than what they did in the previous two weeks before that. But it's been such a weird four-game stretch for Tennessee to end up at 2-2. Two and two. Yeah, and I think a lot, you know, I, I get stuff wrong. I was wrong about Bill O'Brien being the best head coach that might be out there, and I've been – it looks like I'm dead <laughs> wrong about Matt LaFleur. I just – what the hell is happening with this offense that Matt LaFleur – this is a lame-looking offense. This is a lame offense that does not strike at the other team's weaknesses at all. Yeah. I mean, if, if you just look at one thing alone, that, that Derrick Henry, Deion Lewis – had 15 rushes uh, between the two of them for quickly doing the math about 2.3 yards per carry. Close, 2.53 yards per carry. Two point, okay, that <laughs> that is that is terrible. I mean, yeah. you're just you're wasting plays out there. Just continuing go go back to that, and then you look at the numbers: Corey Davis, four receptions, 96 yards. Joni Smith, two receptions for 63 yards. There, there's your opportunity. Yeah, yeah, especially Davis downfield. Like I could, like after that first drive, it's like Davis may have 250 receiving yards in this game. Like the opportunity is there for him, and they stopped going to. But that was the next thing I was going to bring up too about the Titans being really dumb. Uh, you mentioned they had 15 carries between Deion Lewis and Derrick Henry. Lewis was extra, extraordinarily bad in this one. He had only, uh, he, he had only eight yards on seven attempts, and then Henry had. 30 yards and eight attempts. And yet, you know, they got 15 carries, like you said, 38 yards for 3.53 yards to carry. 
And again, like you just don't run your running backs at Houston. The same thing happened in Washington the week before. Same thing kind of happened in Denver the week before that, except Denver was able to break a big run with uh, Philip Lindsay. Booker had a good touchdown cut out to the right-hand side. And that big run that Lindsay had for 17 yards, that was the only run greater than 15 yards that Houston had given up in the previous like a month before that. And they still haven't given up one uh, since that point either. So you're just, you're like you're saying, you're wasting plays. You're putting yourself in long third downs. And then you're opening yourself up with JJ Wiggins, Taylor against Jack Conklin one-on-one, Jadavion Clowney against Taylor Luan one-on-one. And they're, they have, haven't been as good as they were the year before and the year before that. And even if they're, they're, you know, they're good tackles, they're not spectacular at all. And that's not a matchup that you want to be in, especially when you have a quarterback who's struggling to throw the ball downfield too. Yeah, and that was the ultimate difference for me in this game. We could talk about lots of other things, but I think just DJ Watt and, uh, and Clowney wrecking that offense and them not being able to adjust, I think, was ultimately the big difference. Mm-hmm. And I guess the last thing I want to say, too, about uh, Matt LaFleur as the offensive coordinator, like, I think he can be good. Like, that New England game was awesome to watch some of the things he did. The screens he was running against Dallas was awesome to see, too. But, like, too often he's just gone back to, like, inside road, inside zone plays, and it's, like, faux exotic meth mouth, you know? If you're going to go meth mouth, you need to have an ATM in your, in your living room you're trying to break into. You got to be covered in scabs and sores. Your teeth have to be little blue nuggets. Your hair has to be falling out. Your entire life has to be ruined. You can't be going just like kind of sort of meth mouth. And I think LaFleur is just kind of – he doesn't know what he is yet. And he's been – he's had identity crisis trying to call this offense so far this year. And part of it's kind of the remnants of what they have on this offense from the previous years before and how this team is built. And it doesn't really, I think, gel with the type of team he wants to run. So next offseason is going to be interesting for Tennessee just because they don't have a lot of cap space. But they do need like a second receiver, a third receiver, a fourth receiver. And I think with, with the, the upgrade at the wide receiver position, the opportunity is there for this offense to be better possibly. Uh, but until it happens, it's just a lot of like wishing, you know. Yeah, and that's – I think you really nailed it. It's that it, it, it's just like with Bill O'Brien. Like we saw what was successful. We can see what's successful. But next week, are we going to go back to running Lamar Miller back up, you know, up Nick Martin's back? You mm-hmm. know, it's, it's where – our coaches isn't learning mm-hmm. and I, that's so frustrating. So I thought the floor was really, I wanted to go out. I wanted the floor. I made no secret of it because I wanted that kind of, you know, he comes from the Shanahan coaching tree, the McVay coaching tree. I was hoping for the same thing. And what we see is, is a guy who has no idea what he's really doing. Yeah. So break down this, uh, the dumbest play we've seen so far this year for us. It's for me, it's a tie. It really okay. is a tie. It's it's lining up Alfred Blue behind Ryan Griffin on a fourth down. To me, was peak Bill O'Brien. <laughs> I just I don't even have any better way to explain it. That is when I think of Bill O'Brien, like ten years from now, that is what I'm going to think about. I'm not going to think about anything else. That or that'll be my first thought at a minimum. Was Alfred Blue behind Ryan Griffin, and tied for that would be handing the ball off to a tight end who has never had a rush in his NFL career on a fourth down against our defense. That was stupid. Yeah, against the best run defense in football. And also, like, it was super dumb, too, because of how he came in. Like, he, he looks like he's never had a rushing attempt in his entire career. Like, he looked like if I got a rushing attempt, you know? 
Like he just runs straight and high and like like he he was so upright and he immediately got driven back. He ran right into McKinney and Cunningham. And maybe if he comes low, like it wasn't like Houston got immediate penetration. They were the backfields followed up. He had a little bit of a hole. He just ran so upright into it that he stood no chance to get that little bit extra bump he needed to get the first down. Well, I just love his feet. Yeah. When he, when he makes that run, his feet are so slow. Like, he, he makes a, uh, at least one false step, if not two. I went back and looked at it. And I was like, yeah, it kind of looks like a second, but maybe not. But the dude moved nowhere fast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was, it, you know, his poor feet. He's not a running back. And, again, we go back – we're going to go back to, why are you doing that against our defense? Why aren't you going to throw the ball or do a play action or get Mariota out and give him an RPO? It, this is just really, really stupid football. Yeah. Yeah. It, I, I really couldn't believe it. And then the following play, of course, Lamar Miller has a nice seven-year touchdown run. The only play on the goal line that reminds me of that one at all was Houston against Kansas City in the 2016 playoffs – 2015 playoffs – and they got their teeth kicked in round one where they ran that goal line play where J.J. Watt was the running back and God. Vince Wolfork was the lead blocker. Oh, God. And Wolfork just runs full speed right into Derek Newton and just kills. I mean, he splatters Derek Newton and just runs right into his back. The, you know, the gates of hell open up, and they just swarm you know, the angelic and you know, beautiful, perfect man that J.J. Watt is and just you know, rip him into shreds. And that was, I think, the closest Houston got to scoring. I touched on the entire game, and it, that was an all-time dumb play call. That was that was truly elite. Yeah, the, Vince Wilfork, the the fullback on the play, took out half the blockers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I it was it was like Jay Prosh being the gunner on that punt oh, against God. Minnesota. Like, these are the joys that you get being a Texans fan, you know, or being like a fan of one team and really enjoying a team. Like I watch all these other games and stuff, and I enjoy. There's like little things I pick up. But you can't. I can't deeply love it like I can in enjoying, you know, uh, Vince Wolfork as a lead blocker, or Ryan Griffin as a lead. I think even Ryan Griffin did worse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the last, the last question. I, the last dumb times question I have for you is: Who has the worst tattoo? Taylor Lewan's tribal tribal sleeve, or Josh Klein's Old English J on left tricep, K on right tricep? Which one's worse? And can you name any other really terrible NFL tattoos? I have to admit, it's not tattoos are not something I really notice or care about or judge. So I, I don't really have an answer to that one. I just don't even pay attention to it. I, so many of my friends are, you know, I have a lot of punk rock friends and, you know, just the crowd that I ran with back in college. You know, everybody but me has freaking tattoos, mm-hmm. covered in tattoos. I'm not. I don't have a single one. And, uh, uh, I don't notice that sort of thing at all. Hmm. I don't, I just, you know, I've watched the Titans offensive line play with such scrutiny with such a, a with such academic purpose that these are the type of things that you notice. I do think Klein's is a hundred percent worse. Just anytime you get your own initials, I think it's just doesn't come out very well. And also the fact that they're old English and they're so like the tricep is not a very good spot for a tight tattoo. I think for like a 315 pound man. And then, uh, and also, like, old English, like, it's – and I feel like it's something that's, like, really cool when you're, like, seven years old. You're like, if I ever get a tattoo, I'm getting this, and all of a sudden you're 18 years old with it, and then all of a sudden you're a professional football player, and now, now you're listening to a podcast because Josh Klein listens to this podcast, and now I kind of feel bad for making fun of him. 
As he should. We're pretty awesome. Yeah. The only, the only other tattoo I really missed was uh, the dude from the Mavs, the Mavs from the title. And I'm, I'm blanking on his name. I think it was Deshaun Stevenson. And he had a $5 bill throat tattoo. And, like, it's, it's cool, I guess, in a way. But, like, why not get a $100 bill? Like, I understand the five. And the Abraham Lincoln looked really bad, too. It looked like a, like a King of the Hill character, pretty much. Wow. Yeah. So, all right, that's all I got for tattoos. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back, and we'll, we'll talk more about the Houston Texans and less about the Tennessee Titans being really dumb. <laughs> and we're back. So, offensively, the Texans did three things really well in this game. They ran the ball 34 times for 281 yards, and they especially ran the ball on the left-hand side. I was looking at pro football reference, and they kind of break things down by uh, – the direction that they're running the ball, and they didn't get credit enough with with left side with left side runs. I think so much is because Lauren Miller was cutting back, and the play was flowing, collapsing that way, and so they kind of got more credit as interior runs. But the plays were going, you know, to the left hand side, and they, Julian Davenport did a really good job blocking the second level of this game, and uh, so did Jordan Thomas as well too. They also didn't turn the ball over, which was especially important the week before. Deshaun Watson had three interceptions. And that really kind of hampered uh, that Washington game. And then also in this game, they scored red zone touchdowns. Watson had two touchdown passes to Marius Thomas, and then he ran one as well too. So, BFT, what did you see regarding the run game in this one? I think you really mentioned it, especially on the left side, is Davenport has been doing a great job getting to the second level. Uh, he's still str- he's struggling in pass pro. We're not going to gloss that over. But he's really he's his run blocking has improved. It seems like to me that he's able to get around. He's so quick that he's able to to make to I can't even what's the best way to say he's able to get into a position to really help his running back out on the edge. Mm-hmm. And not a whole lot of left tackles really are that quick. I mean, Dwayne Brown was that quick for a while until he got a little bit older, but he can do it. And then Jordan Thomas. I mean, Jordan Thomas is a blocking tight end. That's what he came out as mostly, right? But he just mm-hmm. happens to have good hands. And it, that left side looked beautiful at times, Matt. It, it really looked like magically delicious. <laughs> Lamar Miller's run, that was an inside zone, uh, if I remember correctly. And a, so – big nice seven-yard run, I believe, was inside zone. Yeah, so that, that one – so and we saw what his vision looked like running a zone instead of a power game. So I think this game just simply we we put our players in a better position to win running the ball. You know, of course we got to see Alfred Blue carry the ball. Anytime more than zero is way too many. But he had thirteen. Yeah, he out carried Lamar Miller. He was getting a lot of trash <laughs> time carries. Yeah, he's terrible. But um, every time he comes on the field, like it's something I hit my side of my TV. <laughs> Right. Pop, pop, pop. I call direct TV. I'm going to say, Hey, my connection's really slow and the weather's not bad. Are you doing something? I go on the roof and check for squirrels, but no, it's just Alpha blue. <laughs> and Ryan Griffin is terrible too. And so getting him out of the lineup is, is addition by subtraction. So that's what I'm seeing. Big Matt. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing differences made in the run game. Getting rid of Ryan Griffin, having Jordan Thomas and Jordan Aikens out there instead. And like Thomas is a better blocker than Aikens. Aikens is fine but they're both better than being like the worst blocking tight end in football, which I guess isn't entirely true because maybe like Jimmy Graham is worse, but they're, they're more wide receivers than tight ends at that point. Uh, and that was the biggest thing I saw was just a lot of the, the outside zones to the right, Lamar Miller was coming back that way, where Sunil Calamente was getting his head on the inside part, 
Davenport was creating the movement to shove that three technique all the way back inside and then create like a natural flow up to the second level. And Davenport, and like the biggest problem the Texans have had in their offensive line, the run game, going all the way back to the last time the, the offensive line was really good in 2016 is blocking the second level. Like Sue Field couldn't do it. Jeff Allen couldn't do it. Uh, neither when their backup Chris Clark couldn't do it. You know, Kenneth Lamb couldn't do it. Nobody could get to that second level at all. And so now they're actually making these blocks. They're able to spring Miller. And he has some burst too, you know, to be able to get, to be able to get past that second level in the open field. And that was kind of the biggest thing I saw. It was just a lot of like really cool outside zone uh, right plays that Davenport sealed off. And even back at the left side, uh, going the other way, he did a good job too against the second level as well. So I've, I've enjoyed watching Julian Davenport play football again. And to go from week one to week 12 has been a, a great journey for all of us. Yeah, and let's talk about Lamar Miller just a little bit. And the fact that the dude outran the entire BESF defense. Yeah. I mean, Adore Jackson tried to catch up. And Dory Jackson's got serious jets. He's, he's like a legit 4-3 kind of guy. That's how fast Lamar Miller is. Mm-hmm. And so the, for all the years that we've talked about, he was one of my favorite signings, free agent signings I've ever. I loved it. Then And then we started using him like Franco Harris. And this is exactly why he should not be used in a power scheme. It's because he is a one-cut runner. He always has been. And look what he does. He's got the speed to do things. You get him out in space. You do the things to get him open, just like the Rams plot to get Todd Gurley open, and they get him out, and they get him one-on-one on the linebacker. That's what you do with Lamar Miller. That's what's been so frustrating about this offense for since we signed him is that we don't do this. We just kind of treat them, okay, you're Christian Okoye, you go up middle. No, mm-hmm. no. And this is why this play, I felt so much happiness and awesomeness for Lamar Miller just on this one play. 97 yeah. yards, dude cooked it, good for him. Yeah, and he even before that run too, he had some really great runs. Just getting like seven yards, nine yards, 11 yards. Just like they were even more than efficient, you know, positive success rate four yards on first down runs they were you know big big chunks that he was getting he even had one they probably should have broke but he slipped and fell on the on the grass on the grass and, yep. yeah and it, it was awesome it was a really great Miller game also I still think too that Miller gained weight after he signed with Houston because they wanted him to be like an every down back like we're gonna get you 25 carries a game we need you to bulk up and that sort of stuff and running power behind Jeff Allen just isn't the way that he's meant to be used and so it's cool to run more outside zone. It also really makes me appreciate Arian Foster, too, that Foster was so good at the outside zone that he was even able to convince Bill O'Brien to run in his first year as the head coach instead of all this inside zone and power. And, you know, the Texans just haven't had the offensive line for that at all. Yeah, and I'm really glad you mentioned the weight thing because I w- really wanted to hit on that, too. Bill O'Brien asked Lamar Miller to put on weight. If you go we back – so. We think so. <sighs> Has this been, I don't know if it's publicly announced, though, but it seems like it. Yeah. If you go back and you look at the history of running backs and the number of them that have been successful and the coaches have asked them to put on weight, here is a complete list of those running backs who have been successful. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> that is a stupid, stupid thing to do. They lose their agility. They lose their speed. They lose all the things that make them special. Because you know what? If you have to add weight to a guy – because you want him to be in every down back, then you're taking away what actually makes him special. You ask Christian Okoye to put on weight, okay, give him five pounds, give him 10 pounds. He's going to be the same damn runner. But if you're asking a guy who's smaller and they're used to making the jukes and they're used to being successful in an outside zone scheme, then you don't tell them to put on freaking weight. 
So yeah. the other, the, the, my, the one I'm always going to go back to is look at Adrian Peterson. If you look at his numbers with a fullback and without a fullback, they are night and day. He is so much better with the fullback because the dude played 20 whatever years with the fullback in front of him. Guess what he knows how to do? He knows mm-hmm. how to read his fullback from on block. But you don't take Lamar Miller and go, well, yeah, you did pretty well in the outside zone. We see your numbers with the Dolphins, and yeah, they're pretty outstanding. But can you? You're the most efficient running back, one of the most efficient running backs in football. Yeah, and he killed us. He killed us in twenty. What was that? Twenty fourteen. No, it was fifteen. That was the brightest. God, that game. He he blew us <laughs> out of the water single handedly, and we don't use him correctly. So there we go again with that. Put your players in position to succeed. And Lamar Miller succeeded in a scheme that fits his talents better. Yeah, no, I really like when they run the outside zone. And also, like, even the power plays have been better. The counter has been better. Now they have better guard play. Like, that Rankin power play was really worked out really well. Fulton's a good puller, too. So, like, it's been better than it's been previous years um, as offensive lines got better. But still, overall, like, Lamar Miller running the outside zone is better than him running, you know, power and those sorts of plays. And, uh, you know, it, good things happen whenever they tend to do that. The other thing in this game – we talked a little bit about Watson already. Uh, whenever look at the passing games, that Demarius Thomas had a nice game. So were you pleasantly surprised, obtusely surprised, shockingly surprised, or horrifyingly surprised by Demarius Thomas's output in this one? Well, I mean, it, it wasn't – from a catching standpoint, it wasn't a huge game. He had four receptions on five targets for a whopping 38 yards, but two touchdowns. Yeah. There you go. There's your red zone guy. It ain't Ryan Griffin. You got mm-hmm. DeAndre Hopkins, but he's going to be double covered the entire time. It would have been, you know, Kiki Cutie's really struggling with the soft tissue injuries. But the, the first one against Dory Jackson, I mean, he pants Jackson on that play. Yeah. And that's what he can give you. He's not going to be the 4-3 guy anymore, but he's still 6-4, and he still probably runs a 4-5-40. He's not bad. You can take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. And that was awful coverage, too, by Jackson. Just, like, how much he gave up the inside and how, like, he wasn't even – there's like no weight going that direction either to be able to like take advantage. Like if you're giving him that much of an inside release, you at least have to be cheating inside too. And uh, just gave Thomas a wide open release out there. And like, you can't let the guy run seven yards unobstructed either. And that was a great throw by Watson too. Uh, the ball placement hand this game was awesome. And like, he's a super accurate quarterback. He's Watson's so good. And like it, like I understand this game, him only having a little bit more than 200 yards and all that because the Texans did run for, you had 274 yards in this game. And so like, I'm fine with it, but like, I want to see more Watson downfield passing. I want to see Watson be better because you know, he has the same level of talent as the rest of these other really great young quarterbacks. And uh, we'll talk about the playoffs a little bit farther ahead in the show, but it's going to be kind of like one of the keys as we keep getting closer and closer to January. Now, the Titans were 21st in pressure rate entering this game. They really struggled at getting pressure at their front four. Aside from Jarrell Casey, you know, Harold Landry's shown flashes, but he's not a consistent edge rusher right now. I think he takes himself out too many plays by running too far upfield, and like he's only bending around the edge. And I, I think that's one things Davenport has done really well at is not having to make the block every play by letting by taking what the defender's doing and then washing him outside and uh, understanding his protection better and where he has help as well too. Brian Rackpo's been awful this year. Derek Morgan's been awful this year. Uh, aside from Drell Casey, he's been a really good pass rusher. But one of the things the Titans have done really well, those blitz, they've done a really good job at creating open blitzes, whether it's Logan Ryan or Kenny or Kevin Bayard uh, or even a Dory Jackson at times. They've done a really good job at creating 
creating free rush attempts for, with their, you know, by stacking live scrimmages, showing six or seven, and then dropping guys back like Dean Pease did such a good job at doing in Baltimore. And so in this game, though, I didn't see Tennessee blitz very often at all. It looked like a lot of front four spy Deshaun Watson that even do that good of a job spying. And so how do you think Davenport and Ken Lamb held up on the edge in this one? Well, Kenny Vaccaro did have a sack, so they did have one from a safety. But they, I think, like, each guy on the line just kind of has that one or two plays a game that they just get smoked on. And that's, yeah. that's kind of what I saw is, is overall the group is better. Um, I, I don't think that our, our offensive line is nearly as bad as it was uh, – is nearly as bad as it was at the beginning of the season, to say it correctly. Um, but they're – Derek Morgan is what is he thirty one? Rackpo's thirty one. This is you know part of the reason I didn't think much of the BSF heading into the season is because their defense. What you're asking from a lot of these guys who, to get quarterback, they're old. Landry's young, of course. Casey's getting close to thirty at this point. Yeah, so, and Morgan's hair looks super white too in the Monday Night Football intro. I was like, that's what he looks like because you don't know what a lot of these guys look like because they're wearing helmets and all that. I was like, he looks like that man. He's getting white, you know. Yeah, yeah, he's. 30 January 6th so he's almost 30 so these dudes are getting old I just you know you, you 30 is a magic number in the NFL at most positions Arakpo is 32 right now geez we're gonna die one day yeah Arakpo's 32 yeah so we're you know these guys are getting up there and that's why they suck but yeah. they, they just had I think Davenport had a couple of moments where he got I remember a speed rush. I can't remember the details. I remember speed rush. He got smoked on lamb had a bull rush. They got smoked on. Uh, there was a couple of bull rushes. I remember that created a lot of havoc. They're yeah. going to continue to struggle all season, I think, but it's, they're just not going to be as bad. And I think that's a really good way to put it is that every guy on the offensive line is going to probably have two or three bad blocks a game. The biggest thing is that, you know, Watson has the ability to make up for it. And also Bill, Bill O'Brien's doing a pretty good job scheming to help those guys out too uh, in that facet of the game. But, yeah, I like, I like that. I think, it's a, I think it's a really good way to put the kind of pass protection overall and how you're kind of looking at it for the rest of the year as well too. And so like that Vaccaro sack was a good example of Tennessee blitzing. I just think they, they didn't blitz enough. And that was one of the things they did really well in their week two win with Blaine Gabbert at quarterback. Aside from you know, throwing punt passes, of course, was – I mean, they threw – they got a ton of free rushers against Watson. They had a ton of pressure on him the entire game. I think Houston's still 32nd in pressure rate when you look at pass blocking uh, just because of that game that Tennessee had against them. So the blitzing wasn't there, and that was another thing that Tennessee did kind of dumb in this one. Or not kind of dumb, but did dumb in this game. And they even blitzed Tom Brady really well you know, two weeks before that, and they stopped blitzing the Colts. They didn't blitz that much against Houston, and their pass rush suffered because of it. Yeah. Because I, I haven't seen a team in a while blitz Brady, except for like, you know, whenever Baltimore uh, used to do that a lot. You know, the, the thing is you can't blitz them. You got to play good man coverage. You got to pressure their front four. And uh, Tennessee did a really good job blitzing him. They held New England to only 10 points in that game. So the last thing I want to talk about about this game is J.J. Watt was unbelievable. He went up against Terry Luan. He went, he went up against Jack Conklin too. Majority of the game was against Conklin. And both these players were selected specifically to block J.J. Watt after you know Watt was defense player of the year over and over again and uh, they need to get bigger up front so they didn't have to deal with him having three sacks and five tackles for a loss and two forced fumbles and those sorts of things and so here we are now after all the investment in the offensive line that diehard Chris so uh, uh, adeptly called you know soft as butter and uh, those sorts of things but the Texans had six sacks eight quarterback hits 
Wally had nine tackles, one tackle for a loss, one forced fumble, one and a half sacks, and two quarterback hits. And so what did you think about Watt this game? Was this, like the, was this the best game you've seen from Watt this year in a way? And then also, do you think the combination of him and Jadavion Clowney can be enough to stop a decent passing offense? I don't think that those, they're enough to stop a decent passing offense. You have to have the back end. I mean, we saw that with Corey Davis. Uh, but we also saw the ramifications of you make, start making the you know, quarterback shat himself on the field. That one's not covered by the FCC or the, <laughs> the FCC. Yeah, that one's not covered. Ha-ha. Uh, that, um, you know, you're going to put that. But a guy like Ben Roethlisberger is just going to stay in. Tom Brady's going to stay in. I mean, they're still going to make these throws. So, you, ha- you know, they can't do it all alone. But it's, it's just a freaking joy to watch J.J. Watt play football again, isn't it, Matt? Yeah. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And uh, I liked how upset he was, too, and Covington popped on that sack, <laughs> took, him, took a half sack from him as well. And so I like how, like, greedy he is and how badly he wants the numbers. And also, like, the, the, really, the funny thing that was really funny in this game was him bull rushing Jack Conklin. Like, I mean, Conklin's like a 325-pound guy. He was – I don't think he gave up a sack in his rookie year at all that, that entire season. And Watt was just, just eating him up with bull rushes. And also his strip sack was really great, too. Because whenever you have a guy edge rushing throughout the game, you're bound to get some good one-on-one matchups, you know, after you have, like, you know, 25 or so rushes. And so the advantage of rushing from the outside is you get one-on-one matchups and maybe you get up against the tight end, those sorts of things. You have to deal with as many blockers compared to the interior where you have to deal with a lot more blockers, but you have a short path to the quarterback. And while I got Johnny Smith one-on-one, and I felt, I felt awful for the guy. It was uh, – like, Watt didn't even really do anything to get around him. He just kind of went in a straight line. And John Smith just couldn't deal with his power at all. And why well, had no strip sack because of it. Yeah. And once again, stupid football. <laughs> yeah. The, my, my thing with why and Clowney is if they can be like DeMarcus Ware and Von Miller were in 2016 and that whenever the Broncos won the Super Bowl, they can maybe hold a team like the Steelers, Chargers, Patriots, or Chiefs to 31 points because – People forget, you know, the Broncos had a great secondary that year yeah, too. Yeah. In, in combination with that, uh, with that, you know, ridiculous pass rush, and so like, even if they're that good, they may be able to hold one of those teams to twenty-seven points, and that might even be you know, asking for a lot. So I don't know. It's gonna be interesting as we get a little bit closer, and especially if Watson keeps playing, you know, better if he gets more opportunities to throw the ball downfield. You know, that's kind of like the wild card about this Houston team uh, right now. Yeah, and that's that. that Perspective is everything on that when you say that. I mean, Denver, uh, we're going to talk about this a little bit more after the break because I love me some me. Y'all know that. <laughs> uh, but, you know, Denver had the 20, it was 25th in, in DVOA when they won the Super Bowl in, in uh, 2015, after, you know, the 2015 season. Yeah. And that's the highest to ever win for a DVOA. It really focuses on that to get the Super Bowl. This is an offensive league. The whole thing that defense wins championships, kind of. All-time great defenses can win championships. All time, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. And if you aren't an all-time great defense, then no. Yeah. And so it's, that's, that's the ultimate difference. And, but a, you have to have a great offense. That's just not even a, a negotiable point. You have to have a great offense to be successful in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So we'll talk about the playoffs after we take a quick break. So for a real quick playoff update, the Colts won last week. They won one position game against Miami. 
and bumped their record up to six and five. And they're tied with Baltimore for the number six spot uh, in the wild card. Baltimore has a tiebreaker, so the playoffs started today. The Texans would play the Ravens. The Steelers would play the Chargers. The Jags have been done for a few weeks. And as we mentioned earlier, they benched Boyles for Kessler. The Titans are five and six, and so they're not dead, but they don't have a pulse right now at the moment. And then behind the Ravens and Colts are Miami, Cincinnati, Denver, and Tennessee at five and six. So BFD, the playoffs were – we're thinking about the playoffs right now. If Houston does get the three seed, would you be more afraid of Houston playing Baltimore or Indy in the first round? I'd be more afraid of playing Indy. Uh, Baltimore, it looks like they're really hoping that Lamar Jackson takes over that position. I mean, that's what I'm – you know, reading the tea leaves, that's kind of what I'm seeing. They're not going to let Flacco play again this week. Uh, Lamar Jackson is 3-0 and as a quarterback. He's throwing for like 160 yards a game, but obviously he's doing most of it with his feet. Uh, that's a team that's going to rely heavily on this defense. That is a team that we beat, I mm-hmm. think, in the playoffs. So I would be much more worried to play Indy than I would Baltimore right now. Yeah. Yeah, I agree, too. And also it keeps going back to the fact that the Texans win when they play teams that have to run the ball. The Ravens have to run the ball on offense. And the one thing that may give them some difficulty, they do play the Ravens in the playoffs, is just that they can run a lot of misdirection. They have two rounds every play if, if Lamar Jackson is a starter. If Flacco is to start that game, I don't think Houston have a problem at all whatsoever. But if Jackson started and they actually have a, a guy, they can actually have multiple options in the running attack. They can run that super cool Greg Roman, you know, heavy type formations with all these different pullers, all these different options. That may uh, give Houston some, some trouble because Juan Clowney freelance a lot. And then the linebackers have to read Clowney, and then they have to read the run play as well, too. So that may give them some trouble. So, but I do think Baltimore would be the better matchup for Houston. And Indy can throw the ball downfield. You know, with Hilton, Hilton would probably have – he's probably have like 200 yards if he's healthy the entire game against Jonathan Joseph here in, you know, two weeks whenever they play each other. And uh, they're pass protecting, you know, really well right now. They're pass protecting a lot better than they did whenever they met in week four. And then also, like, Eric Ebron's at – more integrates to this offense and uh and Mo Alley Cox is as well too. And also they actually have a real running back in Marlon Mack now. So it needs a much different than they were in week four. And then week four they still scored, you know, 31 points. They still had opportunity to tie the game. And uh you know Lux still threw for like four hundred something yards or whatever. So anytime Houston plays a team that can throw the ball, which has only happened three times this year, uh they've struggled in those games. They went one and two in them. Yeah, and we're going to keep hitting that. You know, it's, it's, I, I read some of the Twitter things. Oh, it's going to be our, our offensive line that's going to be our downfall. I don't think so. No, I just it, think won't, the, it won't be. It won't be. I just think the fact that, I mean, a healthy T.Y. Hilton, a healthy Eric Ebron against this is going to cause a lot of havoc. And, yeah. you know, we're not talking, again, that Colts game, was, it was a poor decision by Frank Reich to go for that fourth down because he didn't have the personnel available to him to be successful. Ebron was out of the game. Helton was out of the game. Uh, that's your two biggest weapons. So uh, that, that's why that was a bad decision. And I also, wonder, you're at the 40-yard line with 35 seconds of no timeouts. And so even if you get the first there, there's no guarantee you're going to be able to even kick a field goal. be able to line and kick a field goal after that point, too. Yeah. God, we've seen some football, stupid football, Matt. <laughs> we have seen some really freaking stupid football. Yeah, it's kind of it's been a beautiful season that way. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's all to me. It all comes back to: do they run the ball or do they throw the ball? Yeah, so we saw Marcus Mariota. Yeah, he can throw for three hundred yards against us if he was throwing to, you know, only 
throwing to wide receivers a limited amount of times. He's throwing almost all to running backs and tight ends. Mm-hmm. They're not going to hurt us. They're just nitpicking at us. Yeah, and the funny thing about Mario's stats from that from this past game as well too is that he went twenty two of twenty three for three hundred three yards. That Johnny Smith uh, pass was for sixty one yards. So you subtract some of those sixty one yards from a you know three yard dump off. You're looking here at two hundred forty yards on twenty one attempts, and uh, you know that's not that's not good. That's not good, Bob. Right. <laughs> All right, so I, have, I haven't watched the Cleveland game yet because I was driving and traveling for you know, Thanksgiving, those sorts of things. But I have watched one Cleveland game this year. I watched the one right after Hugh Jackson was fired when the Browns just threw a lot of dump-off passes, blitzed the lot against Kansas City, and gave up a 10 yards on screen passes and lost. And I hated it. I really hated watching uh, Cleveland play. So I'm going to go back here probably tomorrow, go back and watch a few more Cleveland games. So I don't have a, a lot of information for this Browns game, but – I do know that you're excited for Cleveland entering this year. You really like Baker Mayfield. And so I have one big question for you. Will the Cleveland Browns actually throw the football downfield? Yes, they will. Baker Mayfield has absolutely no shizes to give when it comes to pushing the ball downfield. Uh, They do throw a lot of short passes. They do, but he will absolutely push the ball downfield given any opportunity. And he's got the arm strength and he's got the accuracy to do it successfully. Um, He's got a nice release. There's a lot. This was, again, uh, when I did my scouting on quarterbacks, Baker Mayfield for me was number one, and it wasn't very close. And he is showing this kind of that same skill set as a pro. He's slippery in the pocket. He's able to uh, create room for himself, and he will throw on the run, and he'll throw accurately. Yeah, and I, I looked at the numbers before uh, the show, too, that Mayfield is 31 of 71, 34.3% completion percentage. He's over 762 yards and four touchdowns and two interceptions. Whenever throwing the ball 15 yards down the field, and I believe he was he was about like 11th or so in pass attempts greater than 15 yards. And he didn't start three, the first three games of the year as well either. So, and also he had Hugh Jackson as offensive coordinator. And so, like, yeah, I'm excited to, to watch Cleveland. I guess maybe, but I'm more excited to watch Hugh have to play against a team that will actually throw the ball downfield. And the pass attempt numbers are kind of funny because Jarvis Landry leads the team with 20 targets on 15, you know, plus 15 yards that are classified as deep. And Landry has only eight catches on those 20 targets, but both Higgins and Callaway and Njaku have pretty high completion percentages on this throw. And when you think about it, you'll probably see a lot of Jonathan Joseph on uh, Landry Jones, which is how – not Landry Jones, Jarvis Landry. I, uh, <laughs> my brain's been so scrambled by CBS this year. I don't know who anybody is though, anymore. And so you're going to see a lot of Jonathan Joseph probably on Jarvis Landry which is going to put your second, third, and fourth cornerbacks out there on Njaku, Callaway, and Higgins. And Mayfield's had a lot of success, you know, throwing the ball downfield to those guys. So um, whenever I go back and watch Cleveland actually play football, that's one of the things in particular I'm going to be really looking forward to, to be, be really looking at whenever I watch them play. Yeah, and I really wonder where Mayfield would be if he had Josh Gordon around. Uh, to me, he's just, uh, just such a difference maker because Jarvis Landry isn't good. Callaway's maybe the best wide receiver on the team, uh, and Jockway is great. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really wonder, really wonder. Uh, you know, Mayfield right now is 20th by DYAR. He did not start the season. If you take away some of the scrubs that are ahead of him that you would never touch, like Derek Carr and Brian Fitzpatrick, you know, he's doing a pretty darn good job right now. And with 
without a lot of help. He lost, you know, Joe Thomas isn't out there. He's got no wide receivers to throw to. Yeah, Greg Robinson's their starting left tackle. He's, oh, and he's so bad. Yeah, I don't have an opinion on him in Cleveland, but I'm excited to watch him. He's bad. <laughs> <laughs> so it's what he's doing out there, up there in Cleveland, is pretty, for me, is fascinating. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm excited to watch a little bit more of him. So now that every rookie quarterback has started a game this year, we talked about this a little bit last week on the preview show, uh, where would you rank the rookie quarterbacks from one through five now that all of them started a game? Um, I hate this question. A lot of guys are really not in good positions. Josh Allen isn't in a good position, even though he was always going to be terrible. Josh Rosen's in a terrible spot. Sam Darnold is Sam Darnold. Um, for me, it's, it's easily Baker Mayfield's the best, mm-hmm. and it's not very close. If I had to go with the second best, it'd maybe be Josh Rosen because of what he's even able to do with that. And, and just it's an awful offensive line. Playing awful, him. awful. And then, you know, the scheming the first half of the season was beyond terrible. So, um, I really, I haven't seen enough from anybody to change my mind in any marked way. I mean, I, I still would say that it's uh, Mayfield, Allen – I'm sorry, Mayfield, Rosen – who am I missing as far as the rookies? Uh, Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson, thank you. Lamar Jackson, it'd probably bump him up a notch. And uh, just because he's he's winning and he's, he's putting his team into positions yeah. to succeed. It's like Vince Young-esque right now. And uh, Darnold and Allen. So that's pretty much the order they came into the season with. Yeah. So I don't, I don't have a best because I haven't watched like the, the coaches film on them. I didn't watch them at all in college either. But I can give you my favorites. So my favorite is Josh Allen because he's a rock star. He does things I've never seen before. His stat lines are hilarious. But that touchdown throw he had last week, you know, the guy like hitting him right in the mouth, that was just like – he closed his eyes and the ball just found it. I love watching Allen play even though he hasn't been very good all this year. Number two, I would say uh, Josh Rosen just because uh, he seems really calm. He seems like he knows what he's doing. The offensive line's been bad. Three, I'll, I'll say Baker. I like, I like watching him throw the ball because he doesn't really throw the ball like anybody I've ever seen him throw the ball at all before. He's kind of like a, a funky release, and it works out pretty well. Four, I would put Jackson. Then five, I would put Darnold. And I'm really not looking forward to uh, Darnold at all whatsoever as his career pro- progresses so far. He just he turns the ball over too much, and he has no mobility. You know, he's going to be a turnover machine. His hips are – if you think Blake Bortles' hips are tight, take a look at Sam Darnold. <laughs> yeah. So Cleveland, they are fourth in pass defense DVOA and 25th in run defense DVOA. Are you expecting Houston's 274 rushing yards to continue into this game? I, I don't know about 274, but I think we should have some level of success running the ball. Um, I, I would really hope that um, their, their cornerbacks are good. And so we're going to really – I think we're just going to really have to focus on running the ball. Mm-hmm. I had some more thoughts about it, and they're not all coming to me right now. Uh, but uh, I think to be successful, we will have to be able to run the ball. Uh, I'm, uh, Ward, their, uh, is it Denzel Ward, their rookie yeah. quarterback, he's looked really good this year whenever I've watched. So they've got some good play on the outside. He's Nobody's going to lock down DeAndre Hopkins, but I think they're going to be able to cover guys a lot better than what we've seen from other teams this year. Yeah, and Ward's healthy. I know that he left that uh, Kansas City game with the hip injury, and so he's back out there playing again too. So him against DeAndre Hopkins would be a really fun matchup. 
So it's just because Ward's kind of a smaller guy. I mean, I guess he's six feet tall, and Hopkins is probably like six four. But uh, that's kind of like how it works sometimes with cornerback play. Like you're, you can be anybody can be tall for a cornerback. It's like being jockey tall. <laughs> so uh, my last question for you before I get your pick is: I know that, you, like you mentioned, you enjoy watching Baker. You've enjoyed watching Cleveland this year. Who's your favorite bad team to watch this season? Oh, it's easily Cleveland. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's not even close for me. I mean, you know, you talk about Joe Schobert at linebacker is a fun guy to watch. I mentioned Denzel Ward's been a lot of fun to watch. Uh, watching uh, Jamie Collins' really horrible personal fouls have a certain entertainment value. <laughs> he's, God, he's got it. He's like, he and Vontae's perfect. Who can be the least disciplined? <laughs> um, but Baker Mayfield, for me, is just, he's so fun to watch. And then Chubb at running back is a blast. Duke Johnson's one of the best uh, receiving running backs in the league. And, mm-hmm. and, um, uh, and Jacque is great to watch. There's some real talent on this team, and they're going to get another high pick. And, they're, and as things start to gel for them, and they're right now, they're what, four, five, and one or something like that? Four, six, and one. Four, six, and one. They have the same record as the Green Bay Packers right now. That's right. That's right. I noticed that. Thank you. Um, but, yeah, this is a team that without Hoy Jackson ruining the first few games of their season, they could easily be over 500. So yeah. they're, they're, I think they're a lot better than people think they are. Yeah, I was so excited to watch Cleveland last year. We talked about it. And then Hugh Jackson ruined that year, came here this year. I was like, I'm not watching him until he's gone. And now he's gone, and I've only been able to watch one of their games. I, just because I was so upset by that Chiefs game. I was like, this is the same sort of stuff. I was like, I really won't watch them until next year. And then they had uh, a big win in Cincinnati with Dalton Hurd. And Cincinnati just can't cover anybody at all whatsoever anymore. So who knows? But, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for this game. Uh, now I'm, I'm glad I get to watch it because I wasn't even able to watch it at all. With Hugh Jackson as the head coach, I just would maybe be posting open threads and say, you know, y'all have fun watching Houston play. I'm not going to watch this one. I'm going to step this one out. So I'll be watching. I'm excited for it. My favorite bad team is Arizona, though, just because they have, like, a top 10 defense. It's one that is really young, too. They remind me a lot of Seattle's defense, where they're bridging the defense from those old guys that were awesome to these young guys that are awesome. I like Rosen, and I love David Johnson, too. I just, like, his cutbacks are ridiculous, and it's a lot of fun watching him be wide receiver. And, uh, and having Mike McCoy just ruin that team for so long. And my, my, like, my actually favorite thing about Arizona is just how much Byron Leftwich loves Josh Rosen. Like, they seem like the best friends out there. Like, I've never seen an offensive coordinator hug his quarterback as much as Byron Leftwich hugs Josh Rosen. And it's very sweet. We need more brotherhood uh, in this world we live in. Such Byron an evil Leftwich. place. <laughs> Byron Leftwich is definitely a lover, not a fighter. Yeah. What a tough man with a broken leg, you know, being carried carried all the way down the field. That's still one of the most just badass things I've ever seen was Byron Leftwich in that bowl game. Just wow. Yeah. If if she doesn't remember Byron Leftwich with a broken leg being carried down the field, she's too young for you, man. Yeah. <laughs> so who do you have? Who's who's your pick for this game? Who do you got in this one with this Texans Browns matchup at twelve o'clock on CBS? Probably Brian Gumbel calling it is my guess. Oh, God, really? Yeah, that'd be my guess as of right now. Oh. I miss Dan Deerdorf. This would be a great Dan Deerdorf game. There's no such thing as a great Dan Deerdorf game. I'm just saying. (laughs) Put that on the table right now. Um, I'll admit I'm going to go with Cleveland winning this game because they throw the ball. I think it's going to be another slot fest until the Texans can consistently get their offense moving. And, you know, we just, it's just so erratic. I mean, you can say, oh, look what they did with the Dolphins. And, oh, look what they did with the BESS. Well, there's two mm-hmm. games out of 
whatever, you know, not our 11, that they were actually decent. So until I see more consistency out of them, I'm going to go with Cleveland because Cleveland can throw the ball. They can push the ball downfield, and I'll be damned. Baker Mayfield is going to make our cornerbacks look pretty silly sometimes. So I'm going to say Cleveland, um, 31, Texans. Oh, no, no, that's too high. Hold on. Let me back that up. I'm going to go Cleveland, 24, Texans, 16. All right. I got Houston winning 20 to 16 because the Cleveland Browns are ninth in rushing attempts. So they're going to run the ball and they're not going to run the ball well. And uh, hopefully Baker actually throws the ball downfield and actually puts some pressure on Houston because I'm tired of them just like not even having to worry about playing pass defense all whatsoever. Like I'm ready to see some of my play some quarterback play in the Houston game. So I have the Texans winning 2016. So I'm just going to say that every time. And next week they play the Colts, which is going to be super, super fun too. Yeah. No, and that's, that's what's kind of funny about this whole thing is, is that we just say 2016 every week and we know we're most likely going to be close. Yeah, it's fun. It makes, it, it makes my life so much easier, you know. Yeah. So, anyways, that's all we have. I, I really do want to go to that Texans-Colts game next weekend too. I may, I may talk myself into it. We'll see. But uh, go there by myself, just get some, like, $300 seats in the upper deck. Or, I mean, like, some $60 seats in the upper deck by myself. Um, but, anyways, thank you for listening to All Red Radio. My name is Matt Weston. If you listen to the show and like it, subscribe. Uh, it's the best way to listen to the show is what I've been told. And then, also, we'll do a preview show this Thursday. I don't know which games we're going to talk about. It'll be published Thursday night sometime, ready for your Friday morning and uh, whether you're listening to at work or driving somewhere at the gym. And then it'll be there for Saturday too, and even Sunday morning before the games kick off. So anyways, uh, my name's not Weston. Thank you for Smell Red Radio. And thanks for being on tonight, BFD. Woo! <laughs> I thought that was very good. Yeah, Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation. And I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain. Or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission. Or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.